Hi, everybody. This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. Remember to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com to access extra content related to our interviews and to learn more about our guests. While you're there, share your thoughts and comments by clicking the link that says, Tell us what you think. We really want to hear from you. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. My guest for this episode is Kelly Warble, who received early exposure in 1992 to physics education research via the Methods of Teaching Physics course at Arizona State University, which was and still is anchored in modeling instruction pedagogy. In 1994, Kelly started teaching mathematics and physics in the Phoenix metropolitan area. She spent 18 years as a high school teacher, primarily at Title I schools. As a high school teacher, Kelly constantly strived towards integrating the modeling instruction pedagogy embedded in her science and mathematics courses. In the fall of 2012, she became the full-time physics teacher in residence for Arizona State University, where Kelly teaches courses focused on physics education, runs the learning assistant program, and is a member of the APS IDEA team, focused on diversity and inclusion initiatives. Kelly also serves on the board of the American Modeling Teachers Association as past president and is also on the board of the American Association of Physics Teachers as president-elect. Here's my interview with Kelly. Hi, Kelly. How are you? I'm great. It's so nice to be able to speak with you in person, Mark, after being (laughs) such a longtime listener. Oh, good. <laughs> That's fun. I'm I'm really excited to talk with you as well. With the, the bit of research that I've done about you, you're a very busy person, and uh, you're very involved with promoting education and good pedagogy and, and choices in the classroom. And I'm excited for you to be able to share with our listeners some of the things that you've learned and discovered over the years. I was surprised to see that you've been involved with modeling almost from the beginning of your career, even in your education. Is that correct? Yes, it's true. And it's even uh, as a pre-service teacher, my methods of teaching physics course was modeling instruction pedagogy um, taught by Larry Dukrich um, way back in 1992 or so. And uh, prior to that, I actually was in a high school physics classroom in in Mesa, Arizona in the late 80s that was taught by Rex Rice. And Rex Rice at the time uh, was uh, working at, well, taking courses at Arizona State University uh, and speaking with Malcolm Wells, who's really the first teacher who, who did modeling instruction. So in a way, I almost consider my high school classroom uh, way back in the 1980s, as having been of a modeler or a future, a future modeler. So wow. since high school, I would say. Yeah, you don't <laughs> you don't look old enough to have been teaching for that long. You know, almost 30 <laughs> thank, years. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have been really, teaching that long. <laughs> yeah. So, w- did you ever meet Dr. Hastinus when you were back in those times in the 90s? Um, oh yeah, absolutely. He was. I was um, involved 
it, after taking the course in 1992 as a pre-service teacher, I got to be part of the grant that started in 1995 that was by David Hestonist to uh, bring in physics teachers from across the country to Arizona State University. Um, and so he was frequently in, in the room for uh, the grant programs that we had. Um, wow. So, yes, I, I did meet him a lot. And currently, I now work at Arizona State University as the physics teacher in residence. And my office is attached to uh, David Hestonis's uh, office, which is still there, although he oh. is not usually on campus. Um, so he's a professor emeritus there. So, yes, I'm very wow. close proximity. He and Jane Jackson and really Larry Dukerich have been kind of a fixture uh, at Arizona State and mm -hmm. in uh, my my career. Yeah. So you've been involved in since the roots of modeling instruction and, and the development of it and the expansion of it. So that's really, yes. really fascinating. I, I, you know, I did interview Dr. Hestinus and I've interviewed Larry Dukerich and Jane and, you know, it, so I've gotten a bit of the history from them, but yeah. you were there, you were a part of it. That's awesome. Yeah. I think I consider myself lucky to have been part of that cohort of teachers and, um, just because I started my teaching career with a really strong support network of fellow teachers who uh, were working to, to make the pedagogy in their classrooms really student-centered and be effective for our students. It made me feel very empowered as a young teacher, too. Um, not a lot of young teachers got to do something like that at that time. I saw that you started as a mathematics teacher. Is that yes. correct as you're in your teaching career? Yes, actually, um, yeah, my first year teaching, I taught only mathematics, but my certification was always in mathematics and physics. Mm. Uh, so then my second year teaching, over the summer, they sent me to uh, phase one of the modeling instruction workshops at Arizona State, and then I took over the physics class the next year also. Uh, but I was at a very small school, so there was only two sections of physics, um, and so my other three sections were, were mathematics. And you're still involved with math stuff. Yeah. Um, I, as I became teacher in residence in the physics department at ASU in 2012, but I really did miss my math teaching because I always taught math throughout my 18 years in high school. Um, and I'm really excited that this year uh, we've got some funding from the Arizona STEM Acceleration Project to develop a few uh, modeling workshops. And one of the ones that we're working on is a modeling workshop in middle school mathematics. Um, so I am helping with that project right now. And we will be re leading our first workshops this June 2023 in uh, Mesa, Arizona. So I'm super excited to be back with math. Is this the first time that middle school math has been brought into the modeling world? Yes, it is. I, I, I imagine, um, like me, uh, I was always trying to put modeling instruction pedagogy into my high school math classrooms, um, yeah. but there was never an official workshop. Uh, but I imagine, like me, many of our middle school science teachers uh, that also teach math have tried to use the pedagogy in their mathematics uh, courses. But this is the first official uh, modeling workshop for middle school math. 
That's so it's exciting. Very much pilot. Yes, we're we're very excited about the project. Yeah, my wife has spoken to me about. She's high school nine through mm-hmm. twelve, and mm-hmm. she has spoken to me about how the kids aren't always ready for modeling when they come in to high school from middle school. And so it's exciting to hear that that you guys are doing that middle school workshop. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I do think that I think research shows that we often lose our, our, our kids, our students in their interest in STEM fields in middle school. Um, so, uh, amazing middle school teachers can make all the difference. And I was, uh, lucky to work on the middle school modeling science, uh, curriculum as well. And, uh, true to the tradition of modeling instruction, uh, took what the middle school veteran teachers knew about how teaching and learning of their students went and took their advice, um, to make sure it was appropriate for middle school. I learned so much from the middle school teachers, and they're absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I just feel as if they would be—they're such a benefit to our community. I wish we had more. Uh, could could serve them better and have them more active in in the modeling instruction community. Middle school teachers across the board. Yeah, that's, that's well. More power to your you and your tribe about promoting that. You yes. know that, that the middle school teachers are more involved. So yeah. um, you've been really involved in a lot of things. A couple that I wanted to talk to you about is is I saw that you were involved with the AAPT and AIP, which I don't know what that one is. The American <laughs> Association of Physics Teachers, I know, but the AIP, I don't know, Master Teacher Policy Fellowship. Can you tell us about that and your involvement with that organization? Yes, absolutely. Um, so the American Association of Physics Teachers is AAPT, as you mentioned, and AIP actually stand, uh, stands for the American Institute of Physics. Hmm. And um, uh, we were, I was on a task force to, to write a, a report called Aspiring to Lead about how to make uh, physics teachers sort of agents of change in uh, high school physics education, but also broader STEM education. And part of that was that maybe um, teachers need more say in some of our policies and in advocating for strong uh, STEM education policies, but teachers aren't necessarily listened to in the policy arena. Mm-hmm. Um, and many initiatives would really be well informed by the teacher voice uh, to, to avoid some pitfalls that occur. Uh, so uh, the AAPT... Um, she was the program officer for high school, the K-12 program officer, Rebecca Vieira, secured a grant to have a small cohort of teachers come to Washington, D.C. Um, for a 10-day sort of workshop, boot camp, whatever you want to call it, uh, in policy and policy advocacy. And her grant was funded both by AAPT and AIP. Mm. Um, so, uh, it was Rebecca Vieira who, who did it. And, uh, I was, got to be involved in that because at the time I was doing a master's degree in science and technology policy. So this became my applied project. So awesome. 
And, and is this focused at the state level with Arizona or more of a national focus? So the idea was that really um, when you're advocating for education policy, the key place to go is your state because um, about 90% of all funding for your typical public school comes from state funding. Federal funding isn't really that important or as key. Um, So the idea was if we bring teachers from different states as teams to Washington, D.C., and have them do the rounds at the federal level and go to Capitol Hill and talk to their congressman, but then also go to the uh, Department of Education, to the National Science Foundation, to a lot of the education associations that are housed in Washington, D.C., that if they went to those places and um, learned from those, those venues, they would be more apt to go back to their home state and advocate at the state level for policies that were going to help um, STEM education and their students, um, because mm. it seems much less intimidating to go back to your state um, level and make advocacy after you've done the federal rounds. Um, so there were teams from, I think, five different states in the first cohort, and Arizona was one of the states, and that's my home state. Um, and we actually used Arizona sort of as a, a case study in how to do this because at the time, um, a few people who are from modeling instruction had um, started to go to the state and advocate for funds for teachers to take uh, classes to become highly qualified in physics or chemistry or mathematics. And the reason we advocated for that was so that people could take modeling instruction workshops at Arizona State University um, mm. during the summers and be paid for it so that they could go back and be more effective teachers. So uh, Mike Vargas and Larry Dukerich and Jane Jackson um, and Al Bartlett, or, or Earl Barrett, that was his name, they had been advocating to our state and had already gotten some legislation passed for STEM scholarships for teachers. Wow. So Mike Vargas came to the original, original DC Policy Fellowship to sort of um, be a coach and mentor. And we also had another a group of Arizona teachers there for Arizona on on. Uh, our behalf too, and and they their idea was that they were going to go back to the state legislature and advocate for more scholarship funds so that teachers could take this high quality professional development. Um, so in our case, it worked very well because our yeah. team came back to Arizona and got more more funding. So is that a continuing thing? Is it you know the policy case? fellowship? Yeah, um, the policy fellowship itself, unfortunately, only had a two-year uh, term, and then the grant ran out, and it has not been renewed. However, mm. the Arizona team, um, we called ourselves the Cactus Caucus because we were from Arizona. Um, <laughs> the Cactus Caucus um, is very, still very active, and so we speak with each other frequently about Arizona STEM education policy. 
Um, and two members of the Capitalist Caucus, Mike Vargas, who I mentioned before, and Amanda Whitehurst, who had been um, an elementary uh, science teacher, they recently wrote a grant at the Arizona state level to get recovery funds to fund professional development for STEM teachers and did get uh, $10 million in uh, recovery funds to do that. And that's now called the Arizona STEM Acceleration Project. And that project is what is funding this middle school math uh, workshop that I am currently developing. It's from those funds. So that workshop, uh, when are you going to be offering it? Um, so we are. We decided we are working on four different units for middle school math. That's what's funded. And we decided to give the workshops in increments of one week. Hmm. Um, and each week will be one of the units. This summer, we're only going to do two of the units in June. Um, so they're going to be week-long bites of the hmm. middle school math in June, starting June 5th, the first week. And then there's a middle week where we're going to be doing connecting middle school science and mathematics. Mm -hmm. And then the third week will be another workshop. So uh, they're in mini increments this summer. Interesting. And these are face-to-face -face workshops, not online, or are they both? Yes, they they're face-to-face -face workshops. We wanted the initial um, the initial workshops to definitely be face-to-face. -face. It is going to be like any modeling workshop where we have lots of manipulatives and hands-on ideas for um, understanding things like ratios and proportional reasoning. And um, so we wanted it in person. And we'll see how it goes, you know, if this is something that's feasible to make a, a remote workshop in the future. Mm. Um, but for the pilot workshops, we are in person in Arizona. Yeah, right. At, is it going to be at AUSU? No, we actually decided to uh, partner with a local school district. So it's going to mm. be in Mesa Unified School District on the campus of um, Carson Junior High. And mm -hmm. that actually is kind of more convenient because when we have workshops at ASU, just parking and walking to the <laughs> class is such a pain. So this will be much better. Um, yeah. They are all being sort of hosted so that we've left um, 10 seats available for Mesa teachers in that district. And then 16 seats available for anyone else who wants to join. Um, and those are being uh, uh, sort of hosted by STEM Teachers Phoenix. Hmm. So the, if, if anybody wants to register, it's on STEM Teachers Phoenix website. Anybody can register. And okay. we will, yeah, we will be hosting some math uh, workshops in parallel with some science and an engineering workshop on Mesa campus, um, all going on at the same time. Are those workshops promoted on the American Modeling Teachers Association AMTA site? I believe so. I believe Kayleen just, uh, she was getting information about them to put them on the site. Um, so I believe okay. they are. Um, and they are definitely on STEM Teachers Phoenix, which is sort of an offshoot of AMTA. So STEMteachersphoenix.com or org or? Dot org, yeah. yeah. Uh, STEM Teachers PHX. Ah, okay, good. So yeah. if somebody listening is interested or knows a middle school teacher that would benefit from this, it would be great for them to know where to go. Yeah, we would be thrilled to have teacher any teachers 
there's another thing I wanted to ask you about. It's called the Step Up Initiative, and I, you know, I had never heard of that before. But that doesn't mean anything because I'm not in the middle of your the science world. <laughs> but, <laughs> but tell us about Step Up and what that is, and in your involvement there. Okay, so Step Up was um, also uh, funded by the American Association of Physics Teacher. And so when I did my internship for my master's degree with them in, in science and technology policy, I helped with that program. And Step Up itself, the acronym stands for, I think, supporting teachers to encourage the pursuit of undergraduate physics for women. Um, the acronym isn't as important now as the idea. Um, and basically, they, um, uh, they had a, a grant to develop lessons for high school teachers to give in their high school classrooms that were shown to um, improve the odds of that student going on to pursue a, a degree in physics. Mm. Um, so, and the reason for this was that in physics right now um, in the United States, um, about 20% of the bachelor's degrees only are awarded to women. Um, so there is a real gender inequity or difference in, in who's, who's pursuing physics. And that is much lower than um, getting degrees in biology or chemistry. Those are really close to 50-50 as far as men and women. Um, so we know that there's a problem in physics. Uh, there's a problem in uh, having underrepresented groups pursue physics. Um, so these lessons were de designed to address that specifically for women. Um, but I think there is some consensus that it, the, the lessons also help um, other underrepresented groups or, or have tend to support them to consider physics as well. Um, the first lesson developed is called a careers in physics lesson. And it's really kind of cool because it's sort of like a match.com sort of thing for your students where mm. they take a survey of their values and also the content areas they're really interested in. And they get matched to someone who has a physics degree who has similar profile to them on their, their brief survey. And then they um, do some research into the kinds of careers they can have with physics. And the career profiles are very interesting. They have a big cross-sections of people. And, and they'll have everything from a, like a YouTube videoer to, uh, you know, a, a research lab physics person. Um, and students sort of make their own career profile and envision themselves as physicists. And um, the lessons we, because I'm with American Modeling Teachers Association, I uh, got to go to some of the workshops in Arizona State University the first summer prior to Step Up being launched and share the lessons with uh, modeling teachers. And the result is that the AMTA community has become very involved in this whole project mm. and um, have even started playing with things like, well, could I make these careers lessons similar but use chemistry um, people or or life sciences people or mathematicians or so AMTA has really embraced the project and so then um, a lot of the step up teacher ambassadors are actually also AMTA members wow. uh, and leaders so it's very ex very exciting that's very um, cool yeah so that initiative's great and um, they also have another more challenging lesson about um, 
uh, how how women are underrepresented in physics, and it encourages students to share times when they felt like they didn't belong in a class or or a situation, and why, and have the hard discussions of of belonging. And that's the second lesson in the step up materials, and um, it's very effective uh, lesson with a good conversation about unconscious bias and how we all have times when we feel we don't belong, and um, goes towards encouraging students to uh, pursue these fields where maybe the sense of belonging isn't as high, um, and so that's also very much aligned with modeling instructions um, yeah. and. Along with, it has a guidelines for discussions during uh, these difficult uh, conversations. It, they ha- they created a poster out of it, um, and those guidelines will end up in modeling instruction uh, classrooms a lot because <laughs> because the guideline for discussion poster became really popular. That leads to. I was very interested to ask you about this. I saw. Uh, in a little bit of your bio and in some of the other things online I found, you're very involved in initiatives that focus on diversity and inclusion. And, you know, this, the step up is one thing, but talk to me about your involvement with uh, promoting diversity and inclusion in the classroom as well as where, wherever else you're working <laughs> toward that. Um. Yeah, I... I did get involved in that, I think, because I um, left high school to work at the university, and there are a lot of initiatives at the university level focused especially on STEM subjects about how do we get a representation in our classes that looks like the the same demographic as our local communities. Um, So I kind of jumped at the chance to get involved in these initiatives when I could, and then um, I think that, honestly, I have to give credit to uh, AMTA teachers uh, during their leadership during the, the pandemic. Um, I would like to say specifically uh, Tanea Hibbler, uh, Errol Serkin, and Teresa Marks, who uh, actually hosted some really um interesting and valuable equity listening hours during the pandemic around the time of the George Floyd incident. Um, they had us come together for very difficult conversations and they actually served as my sort of my guiding star for trying to advocate for similar things in my community. I don't know that I'm nearly as effective as they are, uh, but they really have been an inspiration to me. So when I had the opportunity to join um, sort of like the diversity and equity teams at my at Arizona State University, I tried to take what I learned from them and um, advocate for the same same things that they uh, kind of helped me think about and advocate for. So again, AMTA has been a lead in that, I think. Um, I did an interview with Tanea and Ariel. It's been a while. It was like a year ago or, or so that was really good where they talked about these issues. That was really quite excellent. Yeah, that's great. You you shared with me that you're really excited about the Arizona STEM Acceleration Project. Yes, Tell us about that. I know that's a current thing that you're involved with, and share share with us about that. 
So that is the project that is the $10 million in funding secured by uh, the policy fellows, uh, Mike Vargas and Amanda Whitehurst. Okay. Uh, for, and it's, they uh, secured that funding for the state of Arizona to support professional development, and they're using that to um, develop new modeling workshops, uh, which is really excellent. Okay. And I, I honestly just want to call out the fact that this was an AAPT fellowship with lots of people from across the country, and uh, the teachers from Arizona were all... Uh, involved because of modeling instruction. We got connected because of modeling instruction, and they came back and have just been phenomenally effective um, in advocating for uh, ways to help uh, teachers improve their practice that are meaningful to the actual classroom. Um, so I am just, I think it's amazing, and I think it speaks to how uh, the modeling community sort of makes teachers uh, feel empowered. I think we really empower teachers so that we can empower our students and in meaningful ways. And I think uh, we it's overlooked how impactful it can be even outside of just, you know, modeling instruction workshops. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. And I'd also like to mention two other teachers or three other teachers that are involved in that project, which is uh, Nicole Spencer who is a middle school science teacher, and Jeff Hengisbach, who's a community college physics teacher, and Melissa Germscheid, who is a high school physics teacher, who leads um, also computational modeling in Physics First. So these were all the policy fellows from Arizona um, that are all modelers and have come back and really advocated for policies that help uh, improve STEM education in our home state. You know, it's really exciting for me to hear about the the connection that you guys are making between the AAPT and the AMTA, the American Modelers, and the Association of Physics Teachers, you know, because they're two great organizations, and it's really exciting for me to hear that there's cross-pollination happening and, and a, a receptive, collaborative attitude uh, that's really, really neat to hear. Yeah. I want to ask you, uh, I sent you a little survey before our our time together to get some information from you. And one of the questions I always ask is, before we do the interview, is can you share uh, your best teaching or modeling tip with us? And you responded with the most complete <laughs> uh, description of things that you've learned over the years that are wonderful at tips. And I don't know if you can just pull them out of your memory from what you wrote to me, but can you share those, some of those tips with us, with our listeners? Because they're great. They're really good. Yeah, it's hard to know whether these little tips are, are helpful or not. So I was just trying to think of the ones that seem to come to my mind often when I'm discussing things in workshops with teachers. And one of them is, is something my mother said to me once <laughs> um, when she had left town and my high school age sister decided to pierce her own belly button and my mother oh. came back and <laughs> Kendra had, my sister had, had, she was bleeding through her shirt and her belly button oh, um, no. and I kind of felt bad because I was in college at the time but was part 
partly、uh, living at the house with Kendra and trying to help her out. And my mother said, "You know, I've learned that you have to give kids freedom, but not more freedom than they can handle." <laughs> and、um, I've discovered that that's kind of the true, also in modeling instruction. Insofar as we、hmm. want to leave things open-ended and have students discover and build models on their own. However, if we just completely take off the training wheels. Um, the、hmm. students themselves can get kind of overwhelmed, I think, and sometimes derailed because they just don't have enough focus to know exactly where to even start,、um, and that can be as bad as、um, being too directed and telling them what to do. So I think that. It's a constant balance between how much or how much you're open-ended with your questioning, but giving enough focus so that the students aren't overwhelmed. So、mm-hmm. give them freedom, but not more more freedom than they can handle,、um, so they're not overwhelmed. And I think that balance is one of the most difficult things in teaching is is、yeah. knowing how to make that balance. Um, to not be super directed because then you might shut down any creative thought, but to have enough structure that students can engage with it without、uh, being intimidated or overwhelmed by their amount of choices.、Um, so that was one bit of advice that I think comes up a lot、um, in a different context, but I think it's applicable. I think it's important because it's it's not it's not like a tip that that teachers may not. Have some sense of already, but it reinforces、mm-hmm. a very important thing in the classroom. You know, do you want to share in any of the others, or do you need me to read、uh, them to you? <laughs>、um, I think probably the second thing I put on there, which I think back to a lot, is kind of a harsh statement. <laughs> that is, shut up and listen to your students, <laughs> which、uh. we don't really want to tell people to shut up nowadays. But it was one of the. <laughs> Um, first things that Larry Dukerich probably said to us in in our workshop in way back in 1992,、um, and that is that you know at the time it was very teacher centered. You know you're supposed to lecture、uh, about physics or math or whatever to your students and be this great orator. And his point was, you know, if you are quiet <laughs> and Let your students talk and and speak. You'll hear what they're saying, and you'll understand where they're hitting difficulties.、Mm. And I actually think that、um, this kind of goes to. I think your wife actually had a column, Brenda,、uh, about、um, uh, probing, questioning their answers. You know, questioning students' answers and always probing their thinking,、mm-hmm. and not trying to put your own words over what they're saying. Um, because sometimes you're surprised by the turn it takes. What you think is their their misconception or their preconception is not actually the case, and they're thinking something different.、Um, so you really have to carefully listen to your students、um, and not try to overlay your concept of what they're doing on them. So yeah. <laughs> Okay. But I still, I still think shut up and listen to your students often <laughs> to my own self、uh, yeah. when I find myself、uh, not doing that in the classroom. Well, that's a very Larry way to say it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, it's really cool. Okay, you gave me three other tips. Do you remember? 
No, I don't necessarily remember. Maybe you should choose when, your favorite. What, well, <laughs> one was, I, I want you to share them all because they're really good, but you talked about <laughs> whiteboarding sessions. Oh, you yeah. you remember what you said about that? Yeah, um, I think when we first started with modeling instruction, when we did whiteboarding session, it was really in one format, and that was you had the students presenting this whiteboard to the class um, instead of having other formats such as, you know, having a, a board meeting where students circle up and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things we often forget is that um, the learning that we're that is taking place is typically not necessarily heavy on the presentation part. It's actually a lot of it takes place while the students are discussing and preparing their whiteboards. And I think we forget that because it's kind of almost a hidden um, learning that's taking place. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that student to student discourse is so incredibly valuable. And um, I just encourage people not to discount the learning that's taking place then. And then also to be aware that there isn't just one format for a whiteboard session and you sort of have to tailor it to the group of students that you have. Um, So sometimes if you do a circle board meeting, students are having trouble uh, staying engaged and paying attention to each other. So perhaps instead you do something like a gallery walk where they hang up all their boards and uh, circulate through on their own and put comments on them. Um, So you just have to really read the room and your students and decide uh, what's perfect for that group at that time. Very good (laughs) advice. Don't short time your students prep. Yeah, for sure. Okay, this is this is my favorite tip that you gave. (laughs) Okay. It you said if you look up the word cover in the dictionary, (laughs) I'm gonna let you explain it beyond that. The word cover. This actually also comes from Larry Dukerich. So he was my first Ah. workshop leader for several workshops in a row. So a lot of my advice I have to attribute to him. Um, he, He noted, you know, if you look up to cover, one of the first definitions that comes up is to obscure from view. So uh, we, as the teacher, are often admonished, we need to cover all of the standards. And, um, you know, you've got to get through this laundry list of, of, you know, a thousand things uh, before the end of the year. Um, And if we, but really when we do rush through those standards and try to cover them all, we are doing the equivalent of obscuring them from the view of our students. Um, Because it goes so quickly, uh, it's just not a a good, deep conceptual understanding. Um, So don't be so anxious about worrying about covering every um, item with your students if you have the power to do so. I know a lot of people um, nowadays, unfortunately, they, they might be a little bit micromanaged in their classrooms and be told exactly what they have to teach on which day. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, do keep in mind that just because you cover something doesn't necessarily um, mean the students are going to really understand it and be able to apply it. And retain it. <laughs> and retain it, for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. That's really good. Oh, I have a quick thought, a question. You're teaching physics at the university. Are you using modeling in that classroom? 
Yes, I do use modeling instruction, but I、um, one of the classes I teach is the modeling workshop. It's the methods of teaching physics, but it's a modeling workshop.、Uh-huh. Uh, the other class I teach is、um, a physical science class, and it has about. Between seventy and a hundred students in it in any given semester,、uh. so I've had to do kind of an altered version. But we still whiteboard, <laughs> we still present whiteboards,、um, we still use the idea of students encountering a phenomena in the lab activity prior to、uh, me telling them about it,、um, and they they will come back. Lab is separate from class, but they will come back and.、Um, They will give, discuss whatever they saw in the lab during the normal class time as a whole class. So yes, I definitely am, but、um, kind of hy- or hybridized or, or altered a little bit to be appropriate for that level. And you do have to to fool with it.、Um, one other thing I would like to mention is that recently in that class, I've been looking into. It's called the Next Generation Physics and Everyday Thinking Curriculum. Which is a curriculum for.、Uh, it was geared towards training elementary science teachers,、um, and it has lots of hands-on, simple activities in magnetism, static electricity,、um, energy and interactions, and wave, sound, and light. And those materials are phenomenal, and they're very、uh, aligned to modeling instruction. So that's my recent tip for for teachers: is think about looking into those materials when you need simple activities. Uh, to have students perform to、uh, b- get engaged in some high-level physics, and、um, ve- so、it, those those materials are available where?、Um, you know, I think they're available now from Activate Learning.、Mm-hmm. But if people、uh, sort of do a, a internet search on Next Generation PET PET. Which is physics and everyday thinking,、uh, you will find them,、um, and I.、Uh, One of the co-authors is also a co-author on the Castle curriculum, which、uh, modeling instruction. We had a partnership with them a long time ago,、um, and he, they graciously let us use their materials and hi- and and alter them for、um, some modeling workshops in electricity in magnetism.、Um, I think we would benefit from having a partnership, maybe with Next Generation、uh, Physics and Everyday Thinking too. Um, but meanwhile, listeners, you might want to look into that that curriculum. <laughs> so, so thanks for the last question. I had to get that last little little thing in there because it's no, been valuable、great. to me. <laughs> that's really great. It's been awesome.、Um, so,、uh, I we're kind of out of time. So I'm going to say yeah, thank you、absolutely. so much. Thank you so much for taking the time, and、um, I hope you're. Teaching just blossoms with all kinds of wonderful fruit, and <laughs> it、uh, just keep on keeping on. And my wife said to tell you hello. <laughs> yes, hello, hello Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't gone to see her in a while, so yes, yeah, hello yeah. right back. And thank you. And I hope my teaching does continue to blossom. And usually, when it does, it's because I learned something from someone in this community <laughs> in the、yeah. AMTA. So、Aww. thank you to everybody who's who's inspired me so much.、Yeah. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you so、uh-huh. much. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Science Modeling Talks. Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com, and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, 
show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence.